Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome out there to our Blog Talk Radio uh, friends who are dialing from all over the world. We want to welcome you this morning to Off the Shelf, whether you're listening here or Rainbow Soul or however you're tuning in to Off the Shelf on this morning. And I just like to let you know some of some people who tune in our show they just it's their first time coming across it. They'll come across at the beginning or middle looking for a podcast to listen to or something that when they search off the shelf comes up. I just want to let you know that yes, you are listening to the winning book radio show off the shelf. I want to welcome you. Welcome to Sat this Saturday, December the fifteenth. Uh we those of you who celebrate Christmas, that clock is ticking. You don't you do not have long, but want to thank you for joining us. And I want to leave this thought with you before we go into this morning's show and introduce to you today's guest and, and and sit back and see what she has to share with us, not only about herself as a writer, but her books and, and, and the process, her journey here thus far. But the thought I wanted to leave is from Thomas Edison, and it is, Our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to, to succeed is always to try just one more time. Our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more time and be open to change. Sometimes when you try again, you got to shift something, do something a little differently so you can get a different outcome. But we know when we really want something, we will find a way to get it. My next question to you, off-the-shelf listeners and to our loyal listeners, you know what's coming next. I have to ask you how good of a mystery sleuth are you. I like I like mysteries, and this is why detective stories and uh, uh, you think about the, the people who write those detective-type mystery stories and the Agatha Christie's and People who, uh, 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 Walter Mosley, I remember his early books, the mysteries in his stories. It, it could be three or four people, and you and all the characters are so intriguing. You you just, you're glued into each character, what made them become the way they are, what motivates them, what are their intentions, and then something happens. Uh, uh, something gets stolen, somebody does somebody wrong, or a murder, as what as happens in Love Pour Over Me, and now you've 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 gotten close to all these characters, as though you meet somebody at work, a friend, somebody in your family, and then this happens, and some, one of these people is involved. Now, who is it? This is what you get to figure out in Love Pour Over Me, and while you figure that out, you also get to see Raymond and Brenda, who are meant to be together. But it is not so simple what happens to them because Raymond was raised by his father, which is honorable. He stayed when his mother left when Raymond was only two, but his father has untreated alcoholism. So he's done a noble thing. He hasn't abandoned his son, but there's been a lot of damage from that. So here's Raymond, an only child. He goes to college. He meets Brenda. He is a middle-distance track phenom on his way to the Olympics, all this coming together with his four friends who have a bond that lasts a lifetime. But which one of them, which one of them is responsible or involved in this murder? And then what's going to happen to Raymond and Brenda and these friends? This is a great reason. If you love these things and you like mystery, 
to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. And you can get it in ebook or in print copy. If you don't see it on the store shelf, just ask the clerk to get you a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney, and they can get you a copy because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. I hope you will treat yourself right now to a copy of Love Pour Over Me. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. Oh, I'm telling you, 13 years, every show I learned something that I never knew before. Or I see something differently from every single guest who has been on this show. I'm telling you, it's very enriching, which is why I encourage you again to set your dial to off-the-shelf 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday morning. And our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is Colleen Parkinson. Colleen is an award-winning author of the plays The Injured Child and Waiting for the Train. I love her titles. And Colleen is also a blogger and a book reviewer. Publications that she's written for, written book reviews for, include The Mississippi Rag, I digging on this title, The Finest Hat in the Whole Wide World. Wouldn't that title pull you in? The Finest Hat in the Whole Wide World is Colleen's debut novel. In addition to writing, other interests that Colleen has include American history, genealogy, literary classics, and music. And Colleen has a special fondness for music, from particularly music from the 1920s through the 1940s. And I encourage you to check Colleen out online at thefinesthat.jimdo.com, T-H-E-F-I-N-E-S-T-H-A-T dot J-I-M-D-O.com, thefinesthat.jimdo.com. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Colleen. Hi, hi, Denise. It is really a pleasure to be with you this morning, and thank you for having me on the show. Oh, excited, excited to have you. We're going to have lots of fun, and our listeners are going to glean so much. When they walk away, they'll say, oh, my goodness, I'm glad I tuned in off the shelf this Saturday morning. Now, the first few questions I ask, I ask every single guest, just to give our, our listeners some backstory before we just jump right into talking about their books. So can you tell off-the-shelf listeners, Colleen, where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? I grew up in Pleasant Hill, California, which is a suburb in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, I, I grew up in a traditionally dysfunctional family, like most Americans and uh, everything uh, negative that happened to me, I was able to turn into a blessing. Uh, I always wanted to just uh, be better than my circumstances, and that's what I've worked for all of my life. Do you have? Uh, were you? Or do you have siblings? You are you? Oh yes, I'm number seven out of eight children. And my mom and dad were divorced when I was four, and our mother raised us. And we were very poor. I was raised in uh, the 1960s. So it was before there were a lot of social programs available to, to help single mothers. 
and uh, uh, so we were we were very poor, and uh, there was always that stigma at school because our clothes were old and out of style, and we got bullied because of it, and uh, it was just hard at home, very very hard. And my oldest brother actually quit school at 14 to go to work to help support the family. 14. Wow. Yeah. You know, it, and, you know, people, it's funny how we look at people and we, we just look at somebody and think, oh, I bet you you had it easy. And you have no idea what the person went through in their life. I love how you said you you always wanted to do make yourself rise above your circumstances and do better rather mm-hmm. than let your circumstances determine the path for your life and say, see, this is why I'm like this. And, but you decided not to take that approach but to rise above it. And I commend you uh, for that. What did you dream of becoming, Colleen, when you were a kid? <laughs> this is funny. Uh, my my first love was acting. And um, I spent um, a lot of time in school plays, acting in productions, and uh, I even wrote some small plays when I was still in in junior high school. And my second love was writing. And uh, when I was uh, very young, when I was nine years old, I was in the hospital for three months. And all I had to, to do in the hospital was write. So I started writing short stories, and the, the doctors and nurses used to read them and pass them around to the other staff at the hospital. So I became the writer in residence there, <laughs> and it, they encouraged me to keep writing, and my teachers did. So um, I ended up, after spending a lot of years in in local theater and doing industrial films in my adult life, I ended up. Uh, returning to writing as as really my first love, I knew that was what God wanted me to do. So you started out acting. You know, it's it's, it's uh-huh. interesting when I listen to, uh, and we've had a few uh, guests on, some who are actresses and movie producers, but I, a lot of people don't. They start out wanting to do something different than what they end up doing. But I think it's good that you you explore, let yourself explore what you wanted. Now, how old were you? How old were you? You said you went back to writing, started out acting, and you were involved in it. How old were you when you just absolutely knew that you wanted to be a writer? I think I was 14. No, actually, oh. let me take that back. I was 12. I was 12. And uh, that's what I really knew, and I started writing really bad novels at, at 12, 13 years old. And, and, you know, when you don't have life experience, uh, it's not going to be quality work, but it's honing the craft. And uh, when I retired um, uh, from my, my day gig, I, I took to writing full-time and uh and wrote a series of novels that I never published but it, the those novels this particular series that I wrote 
help me exercise some demons in in my life. Uh. So it was therapeutic. And on on the other side too, on the the other part of the plus side was that it helped me really hone my craft. And um, so after I put that uh, series aside, um, I I got into my family genealogy, and that's where my book, The Finest Hat in the Whole World came from. It was inspired by a mystery that I uncovered during my genealogy. Oh my goodness. Oh, we got to get into that. We have got to yeah. get into that. Uh so you were you were young, 14 years old. You know, let me ask you. Did you think uh-huh. those early books, those early books you wrote when you were a kid, did you think, "Oh, this is the best book and it's going to be a bestseller?" No. Never did. Oh, you did. Never did. Because <laughs> I, I, I knew that. Uh, um, yeah, I was an avid reader, so I knew that I didn't have the quality. So I know I wasn't ready. But it was all the process of learning, and uh, you know, learning and, and polishing up the craft. It's like playing a piano or a musical instrument. You. You have to, you know, you never start off being great at it. You you start off making mistakes and keeping with that instrument and and practicing every day. And writing's the same way. You know what? So, I, the fact that you you didn't think that because kudos for you that you knew. Okay, this is just a part of 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 the process. That you that you yes. knew that who or what you were an avid book reader, who or what inspired your passion, your love for books. Oh, my passion, my love for books. Uh, probably when I was really young, when I first read Little Women, I was probably about eight years old, and I read Little Women. We didn't have a television that that worked at when we were growing up, so we. We had lots of books, and I was always at the library getting new books. And uh, the first one that really, though, inspired me to be a writer was The Outsiders by Essie Hinton. It was a fantastic book, and I, and I and I noticed that she had written it at 17, and I said, oh, my gosh, if I could do that, if I could write something like that that grips people like her book did, uh, then I knew I would be on the right track. Okay. So she inspired me. I have to ask you, and you kind of jumped into it, which I'm glad that you did. Um, but first I want to ask you, before I get into The Finest Hat in the Whole Wide World, which did you start writing first? You were wanted to be into acting. Did you start writing plays or novels? When you first put your hand to it what was the first thing that you did i i wrote short stories first and uh, when i was in elementary school and junior high school they uh the school would have little projects for us and and the kids would always look to me to be the writer uh for the short skits and plays that we did and i remember one class where we actually 
did an exercise doing radio plays. Um, Back in the 30s and 40s, radio plays were the big thing. And uh, the teacher thought it would be fun for us to do radio plays and, and tape them. And none of the kids knew what radio plays were, but I did. And so I put all of that together and taught everybody about sound effects and and uh, so it was it was really a cool thing because it gave me um, a chance to mix theater and writing together for the first time then and uh, uh, so you know anyway it was just you know another part of my growing experience as as a writer what is there special meaning? You told us you were studying genealogy, which I find very interesting. We know what yeah. you did for Alex Haley's career, and he probably really kicked this off with roots. But you were studying genealogy, and you came mm-hmm. across a mystery in your family, and that's where the finest hat in the whole wide world comes from. Yeah. Oh, is there, oh is and there, the title... But yeah, the book title is actually the finest hat in the whole world. Oh, okay, in the, the whole world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed it was on your website as the whole wide world, and it's easy for that to happen. Other people have called it that as well. But it's actually the finest hat in the whole world. And um, getting back to your question on the genealogy, what got me started on genealogy was the fact that I wanted to find out where things went wrong in my family. How did everything get so messed up? And my father knew very little about his family background. Uh, And what he did know, he didn't want to talk about. And one uh, one day I asked him to tell me, uh, you know, what he did know about his family. And what it turned out to be was he was really estranged from his brothers and sisters. And there had been a rumor that he had another sister. But he didn't know anything about her, uh, had never met her, and didn't even know for sure where she was living or what happened to her. And uh, about 10 years after my dad passed away, I I went on Ancestry.com and started delving into my family history and found that my dad's side of the family were Revolutionary War heroes and, and uh, Civil War. We were all Union in the Civil War absolutely would not own slaves. It was one of those things in my family where you didn't do that. So we were union people during the Civil War. And then as I got closer to the 20th century, I I was researching uh, census forms, and I found that my my aunt, this sister of my dad's who had disappeared from the family, I found out that she was living with her uncle instead of with her parents. So there was this family mystery because she had, um, my aunt had uh, four other siblings, and she was the one that was given away to go live with her uncle 
and grandmother. So there was this mystery about why this happened. And she was only six years old when they sent her away to go live with her uncle. And uh, it haunted me the whole time. And I um, actually found um, her grave site and all the family plot. And a funny thing happened when I went to her grave site. Um, she was in a mausoleum. She had been cremated. Um, I think is mausoleum the right word or... I think it's a different word, but I couldn't see in this big room where all these cremains were in, you know, embedded in the wall. And something told me to turn around and look behind me and then look up. And I did, and there she was. There was her her um, her niche. And I felt that she was right there beside me after that. And when I began, I started thinking about the relationship between her and her uncle. And the thing I I found out through my research was she ended up having a far better life because of him than my dad and his siblings had with staying with their parents. So her uncle made all the difference in the world to her. And it and it in my imagination I started thinking, you know, there's some kind of a story here. So the finest hat in the whole world was inspired by my aunt and her uncle. It's not their real story, but they inspired the book. And um I tell you, every moment I was writing it was an absolute joy. And, and I felt them, you know, watching over my shoulder many, many nights when I was writing. So oh that's how goodness. it came about. The finest hat in the whole world. Can you give off-the-shelf listeners like a synopsis? We know how it came about, what you shared. You started setting your – you wanted to know what what is going on in my family, what is causing these things to happen. Yes. And then you find out about your aunt. Can you give us a brief synopsis? And also, is this a work of fiction that is kind of like it's based on your family? Or right, it's a work of fiction inspired by their relationship. Okay. Can you give us a okay. brief synopsis? It, of the, uh, sure. Brief synopsis. Uh, it it takes place between the years nineteen seventeen. And 1937, so it covers a 20-year time span. Um, the main character is Des, who is a bartender in this little town out in the Sacramento Valley. And he's a recovering alcoholic. He leads a very empty life. He's still at home taking care of his mother. And his brothers are gone and have families of their own. And um, his one of his, his oldest brother um, sends him a telegram and says, I'm bringing Fina. Fina is the name of the little girl to come stay with you. And, um, and Fina is a very troubled child. She's very volatile, temperamental. 
She sees everybody as her enemy. And uh, it turns out that she was very abused at home. Her mother could not handle her. So the mother sends her away to live with her uncle, Des. And and, uh, Des wants to adopt her after he has her for so long. And, uh, you know, eventually she ends up uh, staying with him. And their relationship is one where they um, they become very emotionally dependent on each other, but at the same time, they're healing each other. And mm-hmm. he, he um, gives her chances in life that she wouldn't ordinarily have. He encourages her to stand up and be a strong woman and depend on herself and and work for a living and to be an honorable person and he in the meantime is battling his own demons he he was responsible for a death in his family and that's haunted him all of his life and and she really you know comes to him and and helps him settle all these demons that he has and so basically they kind of end up uh, in a 20 year time span healing each other and moving forward but it's not to say that it was all sunshine and lollipops she was a very difficult child to raise but um, uh, they, they get through things and he has other other family, um, a, a brother that is very wayward and is kind of the family embarrassment. And uh, that brother um, ends up uh, marrying a Chinese woman. And he doesn't realize how much racial prejudice there is in, in their area, you know, because it's the 1920s by then. Yeah, until he marries this Chinese woman and um, can't take her all the places he could have taken other people. And and it occurs to him that, you know, that, that he never saw it until he married her, how difficult it was for people of other races there to to have the same privileges as, as the general population. So um, I, am I getting confusing here from running through no, too many no, different No, 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 and, 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 and that's a good topic even t- today. It's timeless. We don't, whether it's yes. a racial yes. or a health issue or somebody is extremely poor or extremely wealthy, we don't know what it's like if we're not uh, uh, immediately impacted by it, directly impacted by it. We don't know. We don't know until it happens to mm-hmm. us or we to But we think we know. Right. <laughs> right. And, yeah, and that's how this wayward brother gets his um, uh, reality check, and he matures through that. And you know, his first comment when he realizes the, the, the racial divide, it's uh, what's wrong with people? Because he just he he didn't have a bone in his body that was prejudiced against anybody, and um, 
So there's all these elements in the finest hat in the whole world that that um, play into this time span. There's also um, the the book also takes place during World War One, which was you know our first war with Germany, and we have a, a German character who is a love interest for for Death, the main character, oh. and she. Um, also undergoes a lot of um, um, victimization because she's a German immigrant and people don't trust her and they make fun of her accent and and uh, so there's uh, you know that element too that you know it isn't only a skin color thing but when you've got a war going on everybody that's different is an enemy and uh so it it touches on a lot of social things that were happening during that era between 1917 and 1937 during the depression but it shows that that we can go ahead no no go ahead it shows that we can we can we can come through these difficulties and be better for it and teach others in the process. Where is the story set at? And then I want to ask you a little bit more about Death and Cena. So the story is set in what? Okay. Uh, it's it's set in California in um, what what we call the Central Valley of California. It's close to Sacramento. Oh, okay. And yeah, so it's kind of central California near near the Sacramento area. There's a lot of references to the river, and um, the towns I created are fictional towns based on the towns in that area. What is Mr. Death Stewart like? How how would you describe him? And does he have other children, or is Fina? His, the only child he's taken care of, and it sounds like he's a single man. Yes, yes, Des is a single man. Um, his heart was broken when he was very young by Fina's mother. He was in love with Fina's oh. mother at one time. And so he's had a bitterness towards his oldest brother for taking Fina's mother away from him when he was young and um death deals with chronic depression uh a lot of guilt uh, but at this but he betters himself through through all of that with Fina's encouragement too and he ends up you know being a um a warehouse manager at a paper products company, and he's moving up the ladder. So um, he overcomes his his issues, but he never wants to 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 really marry. He's become shy of all that kind of thing because he was hurt so bad. Mm. So he never got over that pain. How old is Fina when she comes to him? Fina is nine years old when she comes to live with him. Oh, she's young. Okay. Uh-huh. And, and, and how old is Des when he takes her in? Des is 30 years old. 
Oh, he's yeah, he's down and, too. And still living with his mom. He's taking care of his oh. mother, who is very, very old and is um, going blind and slipping into senility. So he has to work close to home within running distance of his house, basically, in case she has an emergency, which is why he's stuck being a bartender for so long, because the saloon is within walking distance of his house. You so are he bringing can, he these feels trapped. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm enjoying what you're sharing. It's yeah. bringing his story alive. Oh, yeah, oh, he's you know what I'm... trapped by his circumstances, yeah. and and he just feels like his his life is is hopeless, and that things will never change, things will never get better. And then Cena comes along, and 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 they they both find that there's a better way to do things and a better day ahead. What is she like now? Why would her aunt, a little precious nine-year-old, why would her aunt say, you said her aunt, and what, okay, so what happened? Oh, it her mother. Oh, her mother. Yeah. Why would her mother, her mother, who that's, this was really a, 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 a web here, Des was in love with Fina's mother. She would have been his daughter anyway if that had worked out, but it didn't. His brother right. took her. Now he's raising a daughter who might have, would have been his if he, Things had gone the way he wanted anyway, but what is uh-huh. Tina like that her own mother says, I can't raise you? What is she like that her own mother would say that? Well, there there was an issue. When when Fina was born, um, Fina was born under very difficult circumstances, and Fina's mother has uh, uh, mental health issues. And she has many nervous breakdowns. Uh, She's a woman who is trapped in a life she didn't want with a bunch of kids. And uh, so it's, she's she's a violent mother. She can't handle, especially Fina. Fina is especially quick to fight and very temperamental and and so they clash and they they fight and the mother finally says I can't handle her I I I just want her out of here she's driving me crazy basically and that's apparent right in the beginning of the book that um uh it's I think it's in the uh, third chapter, second chapter of the book, where where we learn the circumstances why Fina has been sent to live with her uncle. Okay, and so her, her um, mother. Yeah, her mother. Yeah, her has, mother can't handle her. Okay. Yeah. She has so mental sends her away. She has other children, so she sends her uh, to live with with her with death. How much yeah. research? Did you you're you're going back, you know, and, and people who like historic books. Some people love historic books. They learn from them. They just are and histo- historian, and they like those types of books that go back. And they can mm-hmm. tell, they can tell like if you say, well, so and so was in a diner, and you say something about the diner. They know history so well. They can say people didn't use that type of silverware back then, or they didn't have those type of glasses. So, uh, right. Um, how much research? Did you do? You were already researching your family 
genealogy, so you probably came up with a lot of things yes. from that. But how much research well, did you do as you revisited that time that that novel, the novel was set in? Yes. Um, basically, the the research I did was on um, the vehicles at the time, the most popular vehicles. Uh, there were areas in California where where cars and horse horses and buggies were still being used together, and um, I I did have to research the lingo of the those eras it was uh, the the lingo of the the late um teens and then the lingo of the 20s and the lingo of the 30s because things change over you know every generation has their language so i researched that i researched um even though i had family photographs to go by that i found over the internet um I I researched men's clothing styles in particular and um you know learned that in in the early days um men's collars weren't attached to to their shirts like they are nowadays the collar was put on separately and could be taken off and I thought that was really cool and men didn't wear belts in those early days, they wore suspenders. Belts hadn't been invented yet. And there was no such thing as a wristwatch until the the early 1920s. So every, every man had a pocket watch. And every man carried a pocket knife. And, uh, and so so there were things like that. I I knew pretty much enough about women's fashions but it was the men's clothing that I really had to get into and learn about. And I also uh, researched the, the music of the time to make sure that the song references, there's lots of references to music in the book. So I researched dates to make sure that they were correct time-wise with the book. You sort of led into my next question, and this happens so often when I'm interviewing guests on Off the Shelf. It just always uh-huh. kind of surprises me, but it happens over and over. I was going to ask you about music. So do you think that your love of music from the you know the 1920s through the 40s, you like music in those periods especially, but do you think that love for music during that time period inspired your writing in any way? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, and um, uh, you know, I, I actually on on my website I have links to to the music used in the book um, that um, the characters particularly liked and played on their phonographs, and uh, so so listeners could have a chance to actually. Yeah, go to my website and and click on a link to YouTube to hear the music referenced in the book as the characters would have heard it back in the the twenties or the thirties. And then my next question is: As a writer, did you play for other off-the-shelf listeners who might be interested in writing? Uh, this they might find this helpful, or you 
or maybe you didn't use it, maybe you would find it distracting, I don't know, but did you play music from the early 1900s while you wrote The Finest? No, I never never play music or have any kind of noise in my background when I'm writing Ah. because it's very distracting. And um, I, I'm just one of those people that, that needs quiet when I'm working. But music inspires me. And I'll hear a piece of music that will inspire me in a scene that I'm going to write later. And and uh, so music has, has always been an important part of my writing process. I've gotten ideas for stories and, and books just listening to a piece of music. Um, I, I'm with, I have a particular piece of music by the composer William Grant Still. I, um, and, it, and it's uh, called Mother and Child, and that inspired me to write my next book that I'm working on now. So music, yeah, definitely can can put a picture in our minds and put a story in our hearts if we take the time to just let listen and and let it sink into us and envelop us. Every every song has a story, has an inspiration behind it, and could be inspiring in its own way. Yes. Now, what have readers been saying about the finest hat in the whole world? Oh, uh, I've gotten so much positive feedback. Oh. I, I've just been, you know, I just, it, it really makes my heart feel good after all the hard work I put into it. But um, one of my best, one of my favorite quotes was from a reviewer who said, every character is so well drawn, they are printed, they, they are painted in a technicolor of words. I, I just love that, and um, mm. it, you know, characterization is is so important to me to have strong characters, well defined characters. If the reader does not care about the characters, they won't read the book. It'll be boring right. to them. The reader mm-hmm. must have characters that they can root for, and and. Uh, so that was a big thing for me, and um, and I love it when when people tell me about how it has affected them emotionally. And uh, one person told me that it made them laugh and cry and feel like they uh, were there. Wow! And, and when yeah, when they closed the the book after reading the final page, it was like saying so long to you know friends that they had made along the way. That and, is powerful. And that's what, that's what I want as, as a writer. That's how I want um, the reader to react. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that emotional get into the story, the characters feel real. And you, I mean, even just listening to you talk about the finest hat in the whole world, this story is extremely intriguing. Can you tell us, now you've written other, you're working on a novel now, but can you tell us about yes. your play, The Injured Child? What drives the, what drives the story oh, the, in The Injured Child? The Injured Child was about child abuse. Um, it was about um, a little girl and her brother growing up with an alcoholic parent. 
and it uh, there is a mystery as to the disappearance of the girl's brother. It was an award-winning play, and um, when we when it was first put on, the producer wasn't sure if it would bring in an audience, but she wanted to take a chance on it. And and what happened was after opening night, it, it played to standing room audiences because it affected so many people who were also, uh, you know, children of alcoholics and children who had grown up in violent families. So it, it hit home for so many people that the word got out about it. And um, the 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 oh, you put the it story, on. It's not just a play. You actually put this on. Yes, it was produced. Oh yeah, and it and it won a Shelley Award and a Brandy Award. So we, you know, it was. I was really proud of that when when it all was said and done. Congratulations! Congre- you didn't Thank just write you. the play. You it was produced. Con- congratulations. Yes. Why do you yes, think? Both, yeah. Uh-huh. Why do you think that? You, why do you think that you like J.K. Rowling with the Harry Potter books? Why do you in your story? I, why do you? Why do you choose to focus on the child in the story? A lot of times the child is kind of dismissed. It's the adult that gets the spotlight in a in a, in a book. Why do you? Why do you think oh, that you focus on the child in the story? Um, because children are much more complicated than some people realize. Children see, feel, hear, and perceive things much more deeply than than they're given credit for. And and I love I love the idea of of a, a child who is damaged Growing up and overcoming that damage, working through it, and and later on, you know, using what what he or she has learned from that to to make her her or his life better, and to use it as a tool also to heal others along the way, because they've been there too, and they know what it is. Um, it, it's made me, you know, my own upbringing has made me a more compassionate person. And even though it was rough and and often brutal, I would not trade it for anything in the world because it's made me the person I am, and mm-hmm. it's made me a better person. So Did that's why I write you- about children. The way I think the way you responded to what happened to you, because some people go through the same situation and become bitter or extremely violent and angry, or turn too far inward. Your choices mm-hmm. were. You said at the start of the show you wanted to, you wanted to overcome or be rise above the circumstances you started out in. Yes. And I I, yes. I I said this at the start of the show. I love the titles of your books. You come up with great titles. Can you introduce us to your play, Waiting for the Train? Ah, Waiting for the Train was inspired by a painting I saw of a woman in a train station just sitting by herself on a bench. And Waiting for the Train is about um, a 
a boy, a young boy who has been expelled from military school and he's on his way home and he gets off the train at the wrong station accidentally on purpose, you know, and he meets this woman who is also waiting for a train there. And she's on her way to Hollywood. She wants to be the next Betty Davis. And um, uh, it's the play takes place on the night America found out Glenn Miller. Glenn Miller's plane had been shot down. It was during World War II. And... Uh, and uh, so it takes place in 1942, actually. And um, the um, the two characters are very affected by this when they find out that the plane has gone down. Uh, but they they also um, it's been so long since I've, I've actually seen the play, but um, uh, it, it turns out that she actually was a ghost. That was there. That oh wow! To, and she was there to get him go home because he wasn't going to go home after being expelled from military school. He was afraid to go home. And and Did she made him realize. That is so. Your your the yeah, concept she, you come up with. Did he know? Did he at any point realize she was a ghost? Not until he was an adult. And he went to visit the train station later as an adult. And then he found out that she had died uh, long before wow. he had ever set it. And, and there was a photograph of her. Um, and and uh, so it took, that's how he found out she was actually a ghost. Oh, my goodness. And her, her, job was, yeah, her job was to teach him the importance of family and 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 the fact that in the blink of an eye everything that is important to you can be gone just like Glenn Miller and his plane that was shot down over the Atlantic that night what what well, you talked about characters earlier we have 10 minutes left in in today's show mm-hmm. you talked about characters and that you know readers have to care about the character you can't just be a, a phenomenal plot. They have to care what's going to happen to the characters right. in the book. Uh, uh, that share, what what writing process do you follow to develop your characters? Do you do outlines? Do you have your characters write letters or write in a journal? Do you do character sketches? How do you flesh your characters out? Well, this is a funny thing. Um, I gave up on doing outlines <laughs> because it never works out that way. The characters... In my, in my experience, and other writers will tell you this, the characters tend to take over the project after a while and start writing it their way. Um, I, I have a basic idea of each character and what their issues are and and what kind of people they are. But once I start the writing process, the characters themselves take over and flesh flesh out they flesh themselves out and and sometimes they will take the story in a different direction than I originally intended and it ends up being a better story because of it so 
I welcome my characters to just take over and they're like uh, little invisible entities of their own that just step off the page and say, hey, we're going to do it our way. So do you ever that, have dreams? that's what happens. Do you ever have dreams Pardon? where your characters tell you? Do you ever have dreams where your characters tell you something that, that should happen to them in the story? No. I've never had dreams where they've talked about the story, but... There have been times when I've had dreams of, of people that were characters that, um, but I can never remember the conversations. That's the funny thing. It it's it doesn't happen often. I think it's happened three times to me during, you know, the the last few years when I've been writing seriously. Um, and I never remember the conversations. I just remember that I was having a conversation with this character in a dream. And so you have written, uh, you have written plays. You produce plays, or or, or a play, and you've, you, I've, you've I've written them. Yes. Such, I mean, the storyline is so rich in your in your your stories. Can you share three to four steps that you take? Colleen, that you found to be effective at getting the word out about your stories and your books, because to write a great story is one thing, but then you you have to make sure that this great story finds its right readers, because it it will really have an impact on these per- people's lives. That are people who should be reading the story. How? What do you do to help connect your story to the people who are supposed to read it to readers? What what three to four steps have been effective for you? at doing that. Well, I definitely um I use social media. Thank God for social media. Um I've done Facebook advertising. I I have a web page and a blog and um and my blog will off, often I, I often tackle issues um humorously in, in my blog and, and I always put notices out when I have a new article written for my blog. Um, uh, as far as uh, promoting the book, it's it's I I have a web page uh, specifically for the book, both on Facebook and then my individual web page for it. And uh, I, uh, you, you know, I, I just... Uh, Marketing, um, I've I've used Facebook marketing and uh, Amazon. Okay. Yeah, social media. And and my my book, you know, it's available on on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and Google Books, Kobo, uh, Book Baby. Walmart even has it on their website. So, um so that's so I just get the word out and I I use social media for that. This is where you can find this book and the ebook um, is priced at only two ninety nine. So it's very affordable. Which which and, has, has been more more effective for you, Amazon ads or the social media? Uh, social media definitely, but Amazon has has my. My biggest sales have been through Amazon because that's where people will go first. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, Barnes and Noble, um, I'm finding, has been a very good source in Google Books and Kobo, especially for the e-books. Okay. And yeah, and um, you know, and I I do want to put it out there for for Book Baby, who published the book for me. They okay. they have done a great job just making formatting the book to where it's available in all these different uh, media types, ebook, print book, uh, you know, they've been great to work with. Can you tell us, you said you're working on a new story, we only have a few minutes left, but can you give us a glimpse into what your new book, what you're working on now? Yes, my new book, <laughs> and here we go again, it, it's called Getting Through, and what it deals with is uh, pe- everybody in this story has dealt with death in one way or another. And it focuses on two teenagers who have each lost a parent. And they are cleaning up a cemetery, and a, an old cemetery, like a pioneer cemetery. And uh, they're... There are things that happen connected with the cemetery. Um, um, they uncover uh, a, a murder victim, and, um, and and they they delve into that mystery of who murdered Guy and why. And so it's so it's kind of a mystery and a ghost story at the same time. But it's it's also um, you know, it talks about. Uh, bullying and and things that go on, you know, that teenagers deal with. Um, it takes place in in the early two thousands. Okay, okay, and that's coming out. When is that going? When we can we expect to see that out so people can pick up a copy of it? It's going to be probably another year and a half. I'm, okay, I'm. Still working on it, and and um, I'm going to be polishing it up and revising it before it's. I feel it's absolutely ready to go. Okay. But now you told us. Now. Yes. You told us you are on. Your books are on ebook and in print, and they can get them on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, some Walmart, Google Books, Kobo, etc. And then. Uh, uh, is the finest hat in the whole world? Is that the one that's two ninety nine ebook? Yes, it is. Okay. Yes. Can you tell us on what you said? Social network. You're out there. That's how you market your books. That's how you introduce your books to the, their readers. What are some of the social networks where people can find you at? Uh, social networks: uh, Facebook, um, obviously, and um, I belong to to some of the writers' pages on Facebook, like um, AIM out of Oregon. It's called Author Authors Innovative Marketing, um, and they go by the letters A I M. They have a website on Facebook, and they're very helpful to writers. Uh, and I I also have done some book signings. And that helps. And uh, oh, and another thing I do, I I actually traveled to Hollywood Burbank and ah. distributed, yeah, distributed a few books to people who were interested in learning more about it. I I occasionally I I will leave um, 
bookmarks and cards with advertisements for the book. Mm-hmm. I'll leave those in places where people will read. Okay. So, we, any, you, yeah, anything, you know, any place where, where I can catch a reader's eye, I will I will leave some kind of little advertising. You know, and one thing I'm learning, is one way for us, a lot of writers don't like the market. If you look at it as you wrote this story, and there is a reader who would really benefit from reading it, whether you think so or not, you have to find those readers. So instead of saying I'm, I'm marketing it and you feel bad about that, do your work to find the reader. So, again, leaving bookmarks, leaving, sending postcards to find this reader that this book is really going to help, even if you don't. You don't think so in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. It might. You gotta. You gotta. So instead of marketing, you can see it. I'm going to find the right readers for the book, and I have to get out here and I have to find them, and then they will. Right. They'll, be, they'll benefit from reading reading the story. We are so blessed, you guys, to have Colleen yes. Parkinson here with us on Off the Shelf this morning. She is an award-winning author of the plays The Injured Child and Waiting for the Train. She's working on a new novel. She expects it out in about a year and a half. She's also a blogger and a book reviewer. She's done reviews for the Mississippi Rag. The Finest Hat in the Whole World is her debut novel. And if you came in on the, the interview midway or late, when it finishes streaming, you can listen to it its entirety and learn more about The uh, Finest Hat in the Whole World. What the title she's come up with and waiting for the train <laughs> that really piqued my interest when it, you listen to her talk about that story as well and she is a music loves music particularly during the 1920s and 1940s and please visit her online at the finest hat dot dot com that's j-i-m as in mother d as in david o dot com we want to Thank Colleen for being here with us on Off the Shelf, and we want to thank all of you our Off the Shelf listeners for being here with us. I hope those of you celebrate Christmas, whether you're just going to give yourself an experience, you and your family are getting gifts or doing both, that you you get out and finish it up so you don't put too much stress on yourself because we are only 10 days away. So thank you for tuning in to Off the Shelf. See you here on Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please, please, please put this on your schedule. You're going to catch off the shelf 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and bless yourself. Let yourself be blessed with what our guests share from off the shelf. Thank you, Colleen. To our listeners, remember you. you are awesome. You are incredible. You are amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. And, Colleen, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. 
And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.